Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to David Sampson's Nothing Personal Darkness Retreat, where I will spend the next three to four minutes submerged in my own darkness as I try to figure out whether or not I'm going to live one more year in the Bay of Green. Forget it. I can't stay in the dark. It's ridiculous. How can you possibly expect me to sit in the dark for more than like 10 seconds? Darkness. Nothing personal word of the day. It's Friday, February 24th, 2023. Happy birthday, Penelope Fernandez. Aaron Rodgers couldn't do it. Did you really think he was going to do it? It came out yesterday, of course, that he was going to be in the dark in some 300-foot hobbit-like structure, according to front office sports. I, you know, hotel rooms when you're young, when you're old, can be 300 square feet. Darkness, blackout shades, or maybe you close your eyes, wear an eye mask, sit there and ponder what life's going to be like, finding your way to the toilet like Tom Cruise in Minority Report after he gets his eyes replaced by that creepy doctor and eats the moldy sandwich and the crappy milk. What? To figure out if you want 60 million bucks? To figure out if you want to be a Packer? You're contemplating your love life? You're trying to get some attention, not get some attention? I admit I can't sit still. What would I do? I mean, how long can you sit and think about something? Um, Green Bay. Do I have any expenses that I could use an extra 60 mil large? Who am I dating? What will be my responsibilities? Do I want to get hit by big men running at me who weigh 350 pounds? How are my eyebrows looking? Nah, I'm just kidding. I love Aaron Rodgers. You know I love Green Bay and I love Wisconsin. But come on! What exactly was he trying to accomplish? Some sort of spiritual guide to meditative perfection? And I'm not yucking on his yum. If anyone wants to use anesthesia or Hyanoxka or Inchkin, Inchkin, fine. 
do it. I like it. I like altering the mental state from time to time. I'm not exactly making major decisions. I was in Amsterdam one time and I may have done something that was legal at the time. And I had all these great ideas of what I was due as team president. And I wrote them down. I kept the notes. I actually still have the notes. And then I realized the ideas were ridiculous. I'm not trying to make fun of Aaron. I just don't get it. This is a tough time right now in the National Football League if you're in the front office. You're trying to figure out what are you supposed to do? You've got the franchise tag deadline coming up at March 7th. And you're figuring out, am I tagging my guy? Am I not tagging my guy? Am I switching out quarterbacks? What do I do because I'm not nearly as good as the Chiefs? I'm probably not even as good as the Bengals. I'm probably not even as good as the Eagles going into next year. So am I tanking? Am I throwing it away? No, you're trying. The Raiders are trying to figure out what to do. Who are they going to have? The Jets need a quarterback. I don't know why. Mike White, University School alum in Fort Lauderdale, I think they got themselves a QB. But no, they are rumored to get Aaron Rodgers. And if not Aaron Rodgers, then Derek Carr. And if not Derek Carr, then Jimmy G. If not Jimmy G, then Baker M. If not Baker M, then Mike W. If not Mike W, then Rodney D. Somebody. It's like a Queen song. Can anybody find me somebody to quarterback? My focus is really where Coca is right now. You know Coca's a huge Ravens fan. And I got to focus on that. We'll get back to Aaron in the darkness, maybe. Although the lights are on now. My eyes haven't quite adjusted. I feel like I'm in rent. Have you ever seen that? Light my candle. Your eyes will adjust to the light. Lamar Jackson. I'll fight to the end of time to tell you what happened with Deshaun Watson. Wow, that sounds like a non sequitur. But don't worry. Hang in there. I'll get back. Deshaun Watson signed that deal with Cleveland with Haslam. Jimmy Haslam did all the research, spoke to his daughter. We're all in. Signed him $230 million guaranteed. The owners went nuts as though Steve Cohn had signed Correa. But before they could stop Haslam, he got Watson signed at 230 Guess what? Unintentional ceiling. Say what you will. Joe Burrow is not going to get $230 million guaranteed. Lamar Jackson is not going to get $230 million guaranteed. The only player who's getting $230 million guaranteed is the player named Deshaun Watson, who doesn't deserve close to $230 million guaranteed. That's it. End of story. Hard stop. Collusion? Maybe. Discussion in owners' meetings? You bet your Bippy, who's going to be the first owner to do a little FU to the other owners and sign someone for what Deshaun got or more? It's not going to be Biscotti. It's not going to be Johnson. It's not going to be <laughs> the Bengals guy. I used to know all the owners and all the team presidents and all the head coaches. I'm totally blanking on who the Bengals owner is right now. Mark Davis, forget it. That's Raiders. So Lamar apparently was offered $133 million guaranteed, turned it down once 230. John Harbaugh is the coach of the Ravens. He gave us an idea of the roadmap for the Ravens offseason when he said very recently, it is 200% guaranteed that Lamar will be back. No question. Well, 200% and no question obviously go together. 
don't say that when you're sitting with your boss or doing something with your partner or with anybody. I'm going to give this relationship 110%. I'm going to give this project my all. You're going to get my 120% best. Is the sun going to rise tomorrow? That is a 200% certainty. Nope. The most you can do is a hundo. That's it. The rest is just hyperbole and misspeaking. But 200% is supposed to make you feel like, of course, he's coming back. Now, under what scenario would you have Lamar Jackson not coming back? Let me think about it. If between now and March 7th, the Ravens decide they can't sign him because he won't agree, therefore, they're going to trade him and try to match some of these Rudy Gobert trades twice in a row for Rudy Gobert. Give me a break. Maybe I should just reference Herschel Walker. No, I could reference Kyrie Irving. No, I could reference what's the football quarterback who got traded? Russell Wilson. I could reference that. But I guess if someone offers 17 first-round picks, a few quarterbacks, definitely a wide receiver, a defensive end, and you really do need a defensive back. If you can get 10 players maybe by March 7th, then there'll be an opportunity for the Ravens to trade Lamar Jackson. N-G-T-H. March 7th, they're going to franchise tag him if they don't have a deal done because then they have till the middle of July to sign him. And if they sign him, you can rip up the franchise tag and reallocate the money and figure it all out after July 17th or 15th or whatever. He is on playing under the tag, which means like a $45 million salary cap hit. They're figuring it out. These guys know what they're doing in the Ravens front office. But of course, there's a 100% chance Lamar Jackson's going to be back because if not, they're going to let him walk if they don't tag him by the 7th. Forget it. They're not doing that. You can't let an asset like that go. Or two, they're going to figure out a trade by March 7th. Today's February 24th. I don't see that happening either. So John Harbaugh is going to be prescient. Lamar Jackson's going to come back. But there's no chance, toilet pants, that he's getting $230 million. If you're Lamar Jackson, do you give in? You're damn right you do. What's the thing Lamar Jackson looks at when he looks in the mirror? I mean, other than handsomeness, ego, and amazing talent. I think he looks and he says, man, I could get hurt. And if I get hurt, I'm going to have the tag. And then that could be it. I mean, I'm really good, but what if I blow my knee out? What if I get concussed like four times? What if my shoulder falls off? If you're offering him what I said they're going to offer him, which is above the 130, below the 230, let's say $201 million guaranteed. And you're Lamar Jackson, you're going to turn that down. 45 guaranteed under the tag versus $201 million. Like, no. I think you call their bluff, if, call his bluff if you're the Ravens front office. Why wouldn't you? Now, it will be terrible if Lamar Jackson agrees to a deal and then, oh, I remember what I said. It was Lamar Jackson is above Burrow and below Watson. And I still believe that to be the case because I think Lamar Jackson is above Burrow and below Watson. Granted, Burrow's taken his team to the Super Bowl. Granted, Burrow is absolutely phenomenal. But if you gave me one quarterback to start a team, am I choosing Burrow or Watson? Just among those two, I'm going to take Watson. Assuming all is equal like money and injuries. But if you're Lamar Jackson, you sign that deal. And then you look at Daniel Jones of the Giants, who 
wants $45 million a year? Come on. Daniel Jones, you did well. You had a good year. I'm a Giants fan like the next guy. Yes, I am. Packers Giants are my jam. But no, Daniel Jones is not that type of quarterback. So it's a pretty good time and to be a football player. The money's beginning to flow. Guaranteed contracts are beginning to flow. Aaron Darkness is coming out. I just pictured him. Can we go back to Aaron Rodgers one second, Coca? So when he comes out, what does he have a car waiting? Because he was supposed to be in there three to four nights. He was only in there two nights. Does he have a cell phone? And so therefore, is he texting with people? So he has the light of the cell phone? Or was there actually electricity? Or did he have to pump water in the toilet like you're climbing Kilimanjaro? I'm just wondering how that works. Does he have his car service just wait there the whole time? So his driver is in the light. He's in the darkness, but he's on call just in case. Or is there someone who you can press like the concierge and they go get ho-hos? How does it work? Do you cook your own food or do you bring in like a pizza and you bring in some eggs and you see if you can make food or bring in three meals or maybe you just sit there and on the meditation mat and don't eat? Again, I'm not poo-pooing it, but I'm poo-pooing it. So ridiculous. He'll come out and he'll appear on the McAfee show next week and he'll talk about how he got clarity of thought and clarity of mind and how great it was to be unplugged and how he believes he's more evolved than anyone else. And the fact that he's come out of the darkness means that he can be lovable again and he's not going to hold the Packers hostage and make a decision as quickly as he can. And then he'll say, just kidding. I didn't learn squat in the darkness except how to squat. Eric Bieniemy was announced yesterday as the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. What a coup for the Commanders. Things are looking up, aren't they? Jeff Bezos may buy the team. Daniel Snyder's holding out for seven bill. Ron Rivera has been a phenomenal coach, although he's way under 500, but I digress. Commanders look like they're in position to finish in third or fourth place in the NFC least. And then Eric Bieniemy gets introduced. I watched it and I loved it. Do you know that Andy Reid was calling the offense in Kansas City? For those of you wondering why he would leave Kansas City, a Super Bowl winning team to go to the commanders who put the diss in function because he's now in charge. It's way better to be in charge somewhere that's bad than to be the number two or three guy in somewhere that's good. You want the chance to let people watch you actually work. Some people may have thought as offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs that he was calling plays, but he wasn't. Andy Reid was not going to stand in his way. Eric Bieniemy, who has interviewed 15 times to be a head coach and gone 0 for 15, people saying that is the Rooney rule gone amok. And maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. There's a chance that he was being interviewed solely because of the Rooney rule and that he's actually not head coaching material, or there's a chance that he is head coaching material. There wasn't a fit because of whatever proclivities owners have toward color, creed, age, whatever. But the enemy and his attitude are first rate. He took the podium and he said a bunch of interesting things, but one thing that I liked is that He wanted to make it clear and not part of the sort of lawsuit, the Brian Flores lawsuit sort of clarity. When you are trying to be a manager and you end up as a hitting coach, you don't 
meet the media and say, man, this is the booby prize. This is second choice by a lot. You meet the media and say, this is exactly where I wanted to be, even though I know that Samson's going to say I'm full of it. The fact of the matter is I couldn't be happier to be the hitting coach or the bench coach or the second assistant to the bullpen coach or the triple assistant to the traveling secretary. I love my position. The enemy took a slightly different tact saying, I'm focused on as being the best coach today. Being a head coach is not in my thought process. Of course, that's not accurate, but I love that he said it. Of course, being a head coach is in the thought process. Why else do you want to be interviewed and continue to allow yourself to be interviewed? And that's okay to admit. I would have been fine if Eric Bieniemy had actually just said, I'm disappointed. I think that's relatable. It's human. When we interview for jobs that we don't get, we're disappointed. When we think we have a chance at a job that we don't get, we're disappointed. Even when we get another job that's incredibly amazing and rare and that the majority of people would kill and die to have that job. Anybody reading between any lines right now? Do I need to even say that? Is this personal? Nah, it's nothing personal. So it's okay if Eric had just said, I expected and want to be a head coach. I expect to be a head coach. I'm going to keep interviewing. But right now, I can't wait to lead the commanders to a winning season, to a playoff appearance, to a Super Bowl appearance. And I can't wait to work with Ron Rivera and run the best offense that football has ever seen. I'm in. I like it. He then talked about the elephant in the room. He talked about all the interviews he's done. He said everybody's entitled to their own stance and their own positioning when talking about him not getting jobs. My job is to eliminate distractions. I can't worry about things I can't control. Amen, Eric. If you spent one week only worrying about things that you can control, your life would be so much better. You have no idea. Oh my God, I'm going away a week from Tuesday. Look at the weather. It looks terrible. It's going to rain. I'm spending money on a vacation. Crikey's. That stinks. I got a wedding planned. God, it doesn't look good. Am I going to have to go indoors, outdoors? It's going to be cold, hot. Man, I can't believe that my boss is doing this, this, and that. Can you control any of that? Try spending one week only worrying about the stuff you can control and keep a notepad. Because one of the things that people do that makes me smile is they actually misunderstand what they can control and what they can't control. So if you spent one week with a notepad writing down all of the stuff you're worried about, and the way you know is you say, and by the way, hello, we all carry a notepad in our hand 24-7. God, I'm worried about that. I got a little bit of worry. Write it down. 20 minutes later. Yeah, I'm worried. I'm a little worried about her. Write it down. After a week, let me know how many of the things you should have worried about. Everybody said the right things yesterday about Eric Bieniemy's hiring. There was one guy who didn't. I don't know if you remember, he's an old player. His name is LaShawn McCoy. He said he wished Eric well, but the chief success had nothing to do with Bieniemy. He said the traits or skills you need to be a good coordinator, I haven't seen or witnessed it. Well, he didn't witness it because he never played in the postseason, but I digress. I don't know why he'd go out and say that. There's no reason to say it, but it did cause some people to come to his defense like Patrick Mahomes, who actually had a great quote about him, which said, there should be no question on how great of a man and coach Coach Bienemy is. 
his leadership had a direct impact on the player person I am today. 10 years of learning under one of the greatest coaches of all time. I cannot wait for him to continue to prove doubters wrong. If you're going out to try to get good PR, Patrick Mahomes over McCoy, one nothing be enemy. Interesting to note that Patrick Mahomes said it's his great, it's his leadership that had the impact, not the play calling, not the offensive brilliance. Leadership is certainly a trait and a character that's needed to be a successful coach, but it's only one of the traits required. Believe me, people with far worse creds than the enemy have had a chance to be a head coach. Some of them have succeeded. Some of them have failed. The enemy will get his chance to be a head coach. As a matter of fact, here's where I stand on this, Coca. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. If it happens, we'll revisit it. If it doesn't happen, we'll revisit it. We keep a list of wait to sees. Eric Bieniemy is going to be a head coach in the NFL next season. I think that right now, Roger Goodell and the other owners realize that someone's going to have to hire him. It is the right thing to do. So I think he's one and done as offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders, and he becomes a head coach in the NFL next year. Congrats, Eric Bieniemy. Great job on the opening press conference. All right, let's take a break, Coco. When we come back, we're going to review the whale with Brendan Frazier, and then we're going to talk about what MLB is doing. Jason Stark reported yesterday what MLB is doing with the sticky stuff, and we've got a few things to say about that. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400, or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425, right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. We're here every day, 45 minutes live, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I watch a movie every day. It's Oscar time. Do you know that we are two weeks away this Sunday? Two weeks from Sunday will be the Oscars. I've got a few movies left to see, but I got one done yesterday, and it's called The Whale with Brendan Fraser. I don't know where he's gone. I loved him in School Ties. He's been in a bunch of great movies. With Honor, with Joe Pesci. Don't underestimate how good that movie was. I mean, we could talk about The Mummy and all the other stuff. But let's talk about The Whale. Darren Aronofsky is a filmmaker who 
I hope you've seen his movies. The Wrestler, Black Swan. Does any of that sound familiar? This is a man who makes movies that are pointed, poignant, dark, truthful, and almost mirror-like. And he doesn't direct a lot of movies, if you actually think about it. But when he does, it matters. Do you remember, uh, I'm trying to think of the movie that I was watching before. I'm looking right now. That really made me happy, but I can't think of it. But it was a movie that uh, when he made it, you were thinking, this is a filmmaker that I'm going to pay attention to. But The Whale, when the preview came out, it was of this super obese 600-pound person. The meaning of the whale is a double entendre for an obese person and a character or a part of Moby Dick, the book by Herbert Herman Melville. Brendan Fraser's performance is Oscar-worthy. I don't know that he's the favorite because Austin Butler and Colin Farrell, I'm going to put above him. But that said, I felt guilty watching the movie because I couldn't turn away from the disgustingness of the obesity. And I felt badly that I would feel that way, almost like you're prejudiced or racist against obesity. And I know that there's fat shaming and people are ashamed who can't get out of their home. People who can't help but eat nonstop. And my response always was before I read about it and tried to learn about it and become more empathetic about it was, hey, work in a salad. Stop eating 14 pizza pies and six quarter pounders at a sitting, right? You don't need to shove an entire bag of three musketeers down your gullet. And I never really focused on the reasons behind it and how when an avalanche starts, like it does in the anxiety attacks I get, when the first rock falls and then it becomes an avalanche, you see it coming and you just duck because there's nothing you can do. It's coming. Obesity is very much the same way. It can be very, very difficult to protect yourself. And so the entire movie takes place in one room, his home, because that's, he never leaves. There's an Academy Award nominated performance by a supporting actress who plays his nurse, Hong Chow, I believe is her name, or is it Hope? Coca, can you help me on that if you don't mind? I don't want to get the name wrong. That's not nice. And then there's Sadie Sink, who plays another character. It's a very bizarre movie because there are characters who come in who you don't understand why they're there. And then all of a sudden they leave and you don't understand why they're gone. And then they come back. Samantha Morton makes an appearance. Let me sum up the whale for you. You have to watch it because it's nominated. It did not get a best picture nomination, which it should have. I have only seen eight of the 10 nominees so far. I have women talking and avatar left to go. I love Top Gun Maverick, but this is a way better movie. As exciting as Top Gun is, as commercially successful as it is, I would have had the whale in there as a top 10 over Top Gun, but the Academy Awards need viewers and the lowest common denominator of fans and the audience is generally, hey, let's go Goose, let's go Maverick. Let's go Jennifer Connelly. The whale. Please watch it. 
if you're not reading The Athletic, and this is not a paid advertisement, so I say it again. The Athletic has some of the best collection of writers and the best selection of story getters, investigative reporters, investigative journalists of any publication or any website out there. Hard stop. When Jason Stark writes something about baseball, pay attention to what it is because there's a reason he's choosing to write about it because it's a subject that's of great import. An article came out yesterday about sticky stuff. I want to talk about it a little bit. The purpose and point of the article was to tell you that MLB is about to crack down on sticky stuff. And I want to take you back to the Garrett Cole spider tack story. Spider tack is a thing that basically allows you to hold the ball in a, in a more firm way, which allows you to get better spin on the ball, which increases your spin rate, which makes it hard as hell for a hitter to hit the ball, which makes you perform better and takes offense down, which basketball doesn't want. The equivalent, which baseball doesn't want, 4869, which baseball doesn't want. The equivalent is if there were certain rules on defense when someone was taking a three-point shot, meaning you are allowed to hack the three-point shooter. You're allowed to cut his legs from under him and headbutt him and no fouls called. Would that be good for offense? No. Did the NBA go the opposite direction? Yes. The NBA made it so they got more offense. Major League Baseball wants offense. Part of that is making sure that the advantage that pitchers has have over hitters, which make no mistake, a perfect pitcher would throw a no hitter every single game. A complete game no hitter. You ask any hitter from Barry Bonds to Bryce Harper. Hitters hit pitchers' mistakes. That's it. Some are better than others. Some can recognize mistakes earlier and wallop the ball. Some don't even know when a mistake is coming and they swing through because they guessed wrong. Hitters hit pitchers' mistakes. If pitchers make fewer mistakes or when they do make mistakes, it comes with a ball that is spinning in a way that hitters are not expecting. Hitters don't have a chance. Hitters have an expectation of where a ball is going to go and they put their bat there. There's no time to do anything else. And if the ball is not where it's supposed to be, according to how this pitcher throws a breaking ball, then zero chance of hitting. Wouldn't you know that when... MLB said no more sticky stuff, spin rates decreased, hitters had a better opportunity to hit, umpires were checking every inning, they were checking their caps below the belt. Remember the awkwardness of checking below the belt? Remember when a pitcher, I think, dropped his pants? I think that may have happened, Coca. And then next year happened, which was 2022, last season, and it was a travesty. MLB let its umpires at the end of the same inning, like whatever, the fourth inning or at the end of every inning that a bullpen arm would go, they'd walk off the field, the umpire would laugh, the pitcher would laugh, they'd look at the hand and say, see you later. They weren't really checking for sticky stuff. Now they are. MLB has made it clear. One of Mike Hill's jobs is the... Uh, head of on-field operations for Major League Baseball is that he goes around to all spring training, camps, says hello, goes over the rules, makes it clear that there is going to be a crackdown. When he got to Arizona Diamondbacks, I don't know if he's been there yet, he's going to make sure he talks to Madison Baumgartner. 
when he gets to Padres camp, he's going to make sure he talks to Joe Musgrove and say, hey, get that crap off your ear. Hey, Madison, stop losing your mind when you're checked because you're going to be checked and you're going to be checked at different times. We're not telling you when. It's sort of like the random off-season drug tests that are neither random nor drug tests. But no, no, this time we're serious. We're totally going to check. We're going to check hands, feet, shoulders, knees, toes, cap, belt, anywhere. We may even stick our hand and do a little swiperoo from behind. We're going to find it if you've got it. And we're going to suspend you if you do. Why? Because they did the research and found the spin rates were going up. And on top of that, they found that in innings, which weren't the regular innings when the pitchers were being checked, those spin rates were up too. Can you put sticky stuff on certain times and take it off? Yes. That's the whole point of it. It's not like it's there and then you go home and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have turned on that kind of movie. That's not how it works. It's going to be interesting to me. Because what baseball doesn't want and what they don't like is to be embarrassed. And what embarrasses baseball is when players, umpires, front office, anyone does something that draws attention to anything that's not happening on the field in between the lines. Believe me, although it's fun to watch, they don't like umpires going out and getting ejected. They don't like bench clearing brawls. They don't like any sort of discussion or arguments between players, 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 umpires. They just, they don't want it. They're conservative that way. But all sports have sort of done that. Like with the rules, you can't leave the bench in basketball for fighting or in hockey. There's automatic ejections, et cetera. And we all say we're only watching hockey for the fights. We love, I love when the fans would say that to me walking around Marlins Park. Hey, we love bench clearing brawls. Okay, great. You want to pay the salary for the guy who gets hurt? Pulling the hammy, running in from the bullpen side by side, boom, with a little side shot while they're running next to each other or saying, hey, what are we doing after? Hey, we're almost there. Let's get ready to fight. Here we go. Boom. Okay. It's enough on the sticky stuff. Just watch the games, start of the season, and you'll know when the commissioner's office sends a memo to the umpires or goes and meets with them and says, all right, that's enough. No more front side swipes. We're going to take it calm, keep it slow. You'll see. Did you see what LeBron James did yesterday in the first of the 23 most important regular season games that he's ever going to play? Five for 20, 25% from the field in a Lakers victory. Hell yeah. Lakers beat the Warriors. They covered the five and a half point spread. We are 25 and 31. I'm trying to remember a time that LeBron James and Anthony Davis were so bad and the Lakers won. Although I can remember a lot of times that they were so good and the Lakers lost. So maybe it makes sense that they were so bad. I think Anthony Davis took like five shots in 25 or 26 minutes. I looked at the box score uh, when I was doing something else. So I may have that off, but whatever. They were just bad. Malik Beasley played great off the bench and the Lakers crushed the Warriors who don't win on the road. It was an easy pick. Guess what? The Warriors are playing again tonight and they're giving nine and a half to the Pray for Victors. Nine and a half is all they have to give at home, even on the second end of a back-to-back, even without Steph Curry beating a team that clearly was told by the owner, we will never cover again the rest of the year, period. God, I wish I'd looked to see if they played last night and whether or not they covered. But let's pretend they didn't play last night and they didn't cover. Then Tillman Fertitta is definitely saying, hey, guys, let's play some Olay defense. Warriors nine and a half over the Rockets. Pray for Victor. 
Hell yeah. Saturday, we've got Celtic Sixers. I don't understand how Jason Tatum could not have scored 32 points yesterday. How do you not do that? Just some something, some way. Somehow, some way. Celtic Sixers, everyone's all gung-ho on the Sixers. It's all working out now. Embiid is playing like an MVP. Harden is finally being James Harden. No. Celtics are a way better team. I'm taking the Celtics in the money line over the Sixers because I'm just picking a winner there as I try to get back to 500. So that's my Saturday pick. Sunday, because we're heading into a weekend. Last night, Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic got their first win as a tandem. They finally figured it out. That's not true. That's not how it works. You don't like figure it out four games in, win one game and say, hey, we're in like Flynn. We got this. We're going to the finals, to the moon, baby. On the other hand, the Mavericks play the Lakers on Sunday and LeBron and his then 22nd regular season game or 21st. I don't know if they play before Sunday. I didn't look. Doesn't matter. Do you care? I'm just telling you that Mavs money line over the Lakers in Dallas. LeBron and AD can do whatever they say they want to do, but it really doesn't matter to me. Mavs money line. So those are my picks for the weekend. Have a great weekend. All right, Coca, play me some music. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That's the segment we do. More often than not, on nothing personal, it's where you get into my Twitter, David P. Sampson, you hit follow. After you've hit subscribe on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, by the way, after you tell your friends to subscribe and listen to us live and watch us, it's from a movie called Half-Baked. Trust me, you'll get it if you watch the movie. David, hi. Would you scout an ambidextrous pitcher differently than any other player? Is it possible that there could be an ambidextrous pitcher in Major League Baseball? Well, thanks for asking, and I know why you're asking. There was an article that came out, and there's a little bit of attention coming to a new player. His name is Gerangelo. He's a freshman in Mississippi State right now, and he was actually drafted and then decided to go to school instead at Mississippi State, and he is literally ambidextrous pitcher. That means that he can throw 95 from the right side, 90 from the left side. He can switch off whenever he wants. He can go batter to batter, pitch to pitch. Doesn't matter. He is equally as good. He started off as a righty, then learned how to be lefty, started off as a lefty, learned how to be a righty. Who cares? Look at the guy pitch. If you're right now live, you can watch what he's doing. It's pretty impressive. So how do you scout an ambidextrous pitcher? You actually scout him like he's two players because there's a different way that we evaluate left-handed pitchers than we evaluate right-handed pitchers. Left-handed pitchers are more valuable than right-handed pitchers. So there would be a separate report for him as a lefty, a separate report for him as a righty, and then whether or not it is an acquire. So when you fill out scouting reports, there's different levels. You grade their stuff. Do they have, where is their breaking ball? Where's their fastball? What's their velocity? What's their location? What's their command? Yada, yada, yada. So I'm doing two separate reports if I'm asked to look at him. And the reason I want to do two separate reports is I want to make sure that my scouting director and then my, B, my GM understand that like with a switch hitter where there's also one report but two separate parts, ambidextrous pitcher, two reports, Shohei Otani, two reports. But I want to make it clear to my boss 
that I'm evaluating this player as each part of what he does. So switch hitters get a different write-up, hitting righty, hitting lefty. But switch pitchers, that's actually two full reports. What's interesting to me is that when you are an ambidextrous pitcher, you give your team an opportunity to do something that otherwise it couldn't do. And that is deal with the three batter minimum and not worry one lick about what the other team does in terms of pinch hitting. Because you're allowed to switch sides in Major League Baseball, not between pitches, but between hitters. And so therefore, if you have a true ambidextrous pitcher, and there's been one in MLB, his name was, um, he just played five years ago. Uh, 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 Pat something. Pat Vin, Vend, Vend diagram. Pat Venagram. Pat Venditees Agio. He played uh, five, he was fine. He was not anything spectacular. Why? Because he wasn't spectacular from either side. So if you're an ambidextrous pitcher and you are not good enough from the right and got not good enough from the left, but you throw both, that's cool. But join the circus, right? You're not going to be a major MLB player. He did play for five or six years, but still not anything to write home about. But the thing about this kid that I like is that if you can be a bullpen arm, and I don't really care if you're a starter from either side, that is not where your most value is. I want you to be a bullpen arm from both sides. I want you to be a closer from both sides. If you're throwing 97 with sink and you've got a chance to have a plus breaking ball, and you've got a chance to switch locations, switch eye levels, and come at people, righties on right, or sometimes righties on left, if the right-hander actually hits better off lefties or righties, you can do any matchup you want. That's someone I'm going to scout and pay attention to, I'll tell you that right now. So is it possible? Hell yeah, it's possible. Would I scout the player differently? Yes. That is two and one. Not like Shohei Otani, two players in one, but it's two and one. Something happened yesterday that uh, merits discussion. There was something written about the Boston Red Sox, who you know they are having a lot of trouble. The first bit of trouble they're having is that people don't trust the owner. They're angry at the owner. And I've said why they keep winning. Secondly, they traded bets. They didn't sign Bogarts. They let him go to the Padres. They re-signed Devers. They signed the Japanese guy, overpaid him like crazy, brought in Kenley Jansen, overpaid him like crazy. He's not the Kenley Jansen of Dodger lore. But there's still an opportunity for the Red Sox to be fine. They've got a starting first baseman named Tristan Casas. And what was written about him is he had some troubles he was a rookie last year who had a few quirks. One of the things he liked to do was sunbathe before games. He liked to take pregame naps. And some of the veterans got angry. And he actually spoke to the media and talked about whether or not he was going to change his behavior or whether or not he was going to continue to do the things that he's used to doing because it's called a routine. When a rookie comes into a clubhouse, there's a couple of things, no matter what your signing bonus was, no matter what your contractual status is, there is a hierarchy in a clubhouse. 
I don't care if you're Tatis making $300 million, the greatest rookie you ever played. I don't care. Veterans are in charge. Veterans decide on music. Veterans decide on locker relocation. Veterans decide on jersey numbers. Veterans decide on plane seat assignments. They decide on bus seat assignments, everything. There's a bit of rookie shenanigans that goes on. They make rookies clean, uh, dress funny on a road trip from time to time. They make rookies in the bullpen carry out the food to the bullpen or carry the stuff to the dugout. Making sure that rookies understand that there is a process. There is a way that you graduate to be someone of import, someone in charge, but right now watch and learn. But there is something that I do not agree that you screw around with with a rookie. Veterans don't look at their batting stance and say, no, you should have a shorter leg kick. They don't look at their fielding and say, don't forget to do the scoop or place your feet and throw to first. They don't say, remember to scoop up away from your body at first base. They got coaches and managers for that. What the veterans are doing is explaining to them off-field behavioral pointers. There are players who have routines that you may not like. Walking around naked, putting powder from head to toe, watching interesting movies before first pitch, eating a certain meal at a certain time before first pitch, doing a prayer, doing certain running in pregame, doing certain things during BP. There are routines that players do because baseball is a routine sport of muscle memory. It is critical that players do the same thing each game because you can't change up your routine when you're 0 for 5 versus when you're 5 for 5 because the randomness of 0 for 5 and 5 for 5 are the exact same thing. Now, are there slump busters in Major League Baseball? You bet there are. Are there people who have different routines when they're on a heater versus when they're not? Yes, there are but it is very personal to the player. Is it possible that sunbathing actually makes him better? Maybe. Is it possible that napping makes him better? Maybe. But at the end of the day, let Tristan be Tristan. He actually came out and said, I'm going to change my routine. I'm going to adjust it. I'm not going to eliminate it, but I'm going to try it. I don't know. They need him to be a good first baseman. I was a little surprised that that got pressed because I would have definitely reacted a slightly different way. I had players who did that. We had we had rookies who came in. We had good rookies. We won rookie of the year a lot of times from Hanley to Coglin to Jose to Dontrell. We just had a bunch of rookies of the year and they had their quirks. There's no question, but veterans weren't getting in the way of that. And we had veteran teams. I don't like what happened in Boston. I really don't. All right. That's our show for today. I have a very big weekend planned. It's my birthday weekend. I love the fact that my birthday is on Sunday. It's my favorite day of the year. Not. I have decided to celebrate my birthday. I'm going into a full darkness retreat. I'm going to sit on a yoga mat and ponder whether or not CBS will agree to pay me $60 million per year. And I'm going to have a bathroom, some food, but I promise someone will be waiting outside. 
Have a great weekend. It's just business. This is nothing personal.